0: So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi there, welcome back. This will be for first Peter chapter two. The heading to the chapter says, Converts are newborn babes in Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. Saints hold a royal priesthood and are a peculiar people. We are in subjection in subjection to the laws of man. Wherefore, verse one, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. The newborn newborn babes he's talking about here are newly baptized members. Verse three If so ye if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also, as lively or living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I, say, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, who believe he is precious, but unto them who are disobedient, who stumble at the word through disobedience, whereunto they they were appointed. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter is quoting three Old Testament prophecies, two from Isaiah and one from the Psalms. Isaiah says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Uh, another Isaiah, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. And then the Psalms reads, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Verse 7, now uh, I the, jo- the Joseph Smith translation has uh, changed the order a little bit. Uh, verse 6 is okay. Verse 7, I read the first half, and then I switched in the middle of verse 7 to verse 8. Now I'm going back to verse 7, uh, the second half of verse 7. For the stone which the builders disallowed is become the head of the corner, and now I'm going to verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The house of Israel, both anciently in the meridian of time and now in these latter days, is what he's talking to here, the chosen generation. Whenever the Lord has a people on earth, he offers to make them a nation of kings and priests, not a congregation of lay members with a priest or a minister at the head, but a whole church in which every man is his own minister, in which every man stands as a king in his own right, reigning over his own family kingdom. The priesthood which makes a man a king and a priest is thus a royal priesthood, we become kings and priests through the ordinances of the house of the Lord. If I were uh, marking in my scriptures, I might take the uh, take this scripture in First in Peter chapter 2 here and just put temple next to verse 9, the royal priesthood. President Nelson said, Thus we see that the scriptural term peculiar signifies valued treasure made or selected by God. For us to be identified by servants of the Lord as his peculiar people is a complement of the highest order. In the Hebrew tongue, the word peculiar more closely means private property or hidden treasure. It means wealth and is synonymous with precious jewel. It also allies closely with being shut up or meaning separated from the world and, and impenetrable. Are we all those things to the Lord? Are we his peculiar people? Do we live so that the, that the world and the evils thereof do not p- penetrate our hearts or our homes? That was by Scott Facer Proctor. Every person who accepts the gospel and joins the church is called out of darkness. The light is the light of Christ, and that's uh, Bruce R. McConkie. Verse 10, which in time past not were not a people, but are now the people of God. In other words, adopted into the family of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Justice is for the ungodly, mercy for the penitent. Mercy comes only to those who repent and live the gospel. All others are subject to the law of justice and pay the penalty for their own sins. And that was by Bruce R. McConkey. Verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There is an an imperative need for fleshly lusts as part of the eternal eternal plan. This very sphere of existence is deliberately designed as one in which all men will be subject to the appetites and passions and lusts of life. The issue is whether we take Peter's counsel and abstain from these fleshly lusts or whether we follow the worldly course of appetite and indulgence. That was by Bruce I. McConkie. Verse 12, "Having Having your conduct honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evil, Evildoers, that may be your good, that may be your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. It is a standard operating procedure for the unrepentant and sin-laden enemies of the truth to accuse the saints of evildoing. Again, Bruce R. McConkey. verse thirteen: Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. Or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. In other words, obey the law of the land. For so is the will of God that that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, or crooked or wicked. For this is thankworthy, or pleasing, or gracious, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? In other words, being struck with a fist, that's what buffeted means there. So what if you take punishment for what you deserve patiently? But if, that, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God, or pleasing unto God. The real test is when you do good and are punished. That's the test. Peter is here describing the suffering of Jesus that he was a personal witness, eyewitness of. So remember that Jesus was, was beaten and punished and, and scourged and all these things, and without, uh, without cause and without, without reason. Verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an, an example, that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who was, in other words, the contemptuous scorn of the high priest when he was smitten by the high priest. Verse 24, Verse 24, who, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that he being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. In other words, the bruised or bloody body, the welts that uh, result from lashing with a whip. Verse 25, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So Jesus is here being called the bishop of our souls. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.